You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Robin McMahon here, and I'm really, really happy to invite Annette Hines on this episode today. Annette Hines is a special kind of mama. She's definitely a special mama. She's the author of a bestseller called Butterflies and Second Chances. It's a mom's memoir of love and loss. It's the inspiring true story of a mother's special needs journey and her struggle to secure the best possible life for her child in the face of bureaucratic resistance and marital crisis. She has spent the last two decades as a professional advocating for people with special needs through her firm, Special Needs Law Group of Massachusetts. She has personally lived the life as a special needs caregiver, as a mother of two daughters, one of whom passed away from mitochondrial disease in November of 2013. Annette, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Robin. I'm so excited to meet you. Yes, me too. Oh my gosh. So this, um, this whole life for you changed when you had your daughter, Elizabeth. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, she uh, burst onto the scene as a 29-week preemie and just rocked my world. Oh my gosh. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit about her story, your story with her? Well, I was a sort of a young mom. I was in my 20s, and um, so I had just gotten out of school, was a little bit naive, uh, hadn't really just got, I had just gotten married, hadn't really thought much about... um, what it would mean to be a special needs parent. Nobody expects that to happen to them, hmm. really. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have the same kind of parenting experience that I watched my sister have, that I've watched my friends have, that everybody has, right? You know, you go through your pregnancy and you're thinking everything's going to be fine. And then, yeah, my pregnancy wasn't so fine. And all of a sudden at uh, 20 weeks, I got put on bed rest, still thinking everything's going to be fine. This was... I left my job and I just, you know, kind of hung out and snacked and watched a lot of TV. And, you know, I I still, nobody was really talking to me. That was kind of the beginning of weirdness. You know, nobody was really talking to me about what this all meant. And, um, you know, and then at 29 weeks, kind of the bottom fell out. And all of a sudden, there was insanity. She had to be born. Everything was crazy. I had gone in for some testing and, um, um, you know, it was like something out of a movie. We're running down the hallway. People are helping me get my clothes off or needing to rush into surgery. I was alone. I didn't know where my husband was. He was out in the field somewhere. Um, you know, we didn't have cell phones. This was, you know, 1996. Uh, You know, like, it's not so easy to get a hold of people. Um, And uh, we had moved to a different state where my family wasn't. And we, we had moved where his family was. So yeah, it was the beginning of loneliness. It was the beginning of scariness. And uh, I ended up having a two pound 29 week preemie that went off to the NICU. I couldn't even 
hold my baby when she was born. So my experience was very scary from the beginning, very different. And, and that was the beginning of a really different parenting experience than what I was expecting. So she struggled for life from the beginning. Mm. And, um, and that was our journey from day one. A wow. lot of struggles. Wow. Um, and how, how was that for you? Like, what was that like for you? It was so confusing because I wasn't getting a lot of information and I'll be honest, I'm kind of a type A personality. So I had just gotten out of law school and I, for me, the answers were always in a book somewhere. Um, and there weren't really answers here. And, um, I kind of expected somebody to be able to tell me, okay, so first we're going to do A and then we're going to do B and then we're going to do C and there wasn't any of that really. And um, I was feeling um, a tremendous amount of stress because I didn't know what was happening. Um, one of the things that happened to me was that, you know, I was put into a room without my baby, of course, and I was put into a room across the hallway from where the healthy babies were. And so nowadays we would never do that to a, a mama, right? I would hope. I don't, yeah. But, wow. um, you know, it was so sad. And I mean, I, I couldn't see her for 12 hours because they were doing all these procedures on her. And, um, but I didn't know enough as a young person to ask, to advocate, to find out what was going on. And, um, I didn't have my mom with me as my strength and support to ask all those questions for me and advocate. And, um, you know, I, I like to say that an advocate was born in that moment, but it took me a while to get there. It really did. And, you know, I had to leave the hospital without my baby. Oh, it was so, so hard. Yeah. So hard to do that you know, and we were in the NICU for a long time, nine weeks, and a lot of babies died while we were there. So it was so traumatic the whole time. You know, you, you talk about, you know, <laughs> didn't know how to advocate for yourself. I think, I mean, how could you? How could you have known? I mean, it's hard enough just to go through childbirth on its own with a baby, you know, that's typical with all the hormones that happen with your body healing. And then, and then you are faced with a child who is, whose life is in crisis. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, it's hard enough to put one foot in front of the other, right? Never mind, try to now be you know, a mama bear and, yeah. you know, say, Hey, this isn't right. I shouldn't be across the hall. Like I, I think I'd be just a puddle, just a total complete puddle. The whole time, the yeah. whole time. And then, you know, we, we got sent home with what we were told was like, Oh, she's just a preemie. She's totally fine. She just needs to grow, feed, sleep, grow, feed, sleep, grow. Everything is going to be okay. But that was not true. Really? She was not fine. She had mitochondrial disease and she had a brain injury that they didn't catch and didn't know about. So it wasn't until she started having seizures at oh. seven months 
And she wasn't developing along the way. It took my mom to come down and visit me and she caught it. She saw that she wasn't meeting her developmental milestones and that something wasn't right. And then the seizure started and the doctors were just, oh, you're just a nervous mom. Oh, you know, you don't really know what you're seeing. It's just reflux. It's just this, it's just that. And, you know, sort of, not literally, but figuratively patting me on the head, you know, until I brought her into the ER one day and she did it in front of them. And then they were like, oh, and all of a sudden everybody was rushing around again. And I think that's such a good point that you bring up, like that, you know, we're trying to use our instincts, but not only, you know, even, even before what you said, like, can you just tell me A, B and C, and then I'll go and do those things or those things are what I'm to expect, but you're trying to use your, your intuition. You're trying to, to be this mom, but you are confused. You're hormonal. Um, The people that you talk to confuse you because I know my experiences is literally one nurse would come in and say one thing and then another another nurse would come in and say the exact opposite thing. So how yeah. do you know your internal compass is totally spinning around? You don't know what to do. And I don't want to knock the medical community. Honestly, they're so wonderful and they've been such a great team and have been phenomenal advocates for my daughter and my family. But in the early days, they really were not connected with us. Um, and they they did tend to be very much, um, they weren't listening. They weren't good communicators. Um, I think that things have changed a lot. I think that because of parents like me, because we demand more now, because of the internet, (laughs) because information is gold now, you know, Um, and we are more demanding. I think that things have gotten better. But um, in the beginning, it wasn't like that. And what happened was eventually I became this person, and it was a long road, but this person who just wasn't accepting of being brushed aside. Mm. And I found a better way to ask the question and to evaluate the information that I was getting. Now, I went through a lot of um, a lot of morphs of that, you know, some for, I spent a lot of time being angry. Mm. So that wasn't a very, that didn't get me good outcomes. You know, that wasn't a good approach. Didn't work. Um, just made me look like crazy mama. So crazy mama didn't get what she needed for sure. Mm. Um, but that was, that was a period of my life that, you know, I just, I just needed to be crazy mama for a while. Yeah, but that turned into something else, you know, and then finally got to a good way of communicating. Listen, having a law degree didn't help me as much as you would think. (laughs) When it's your kid, it's your kid. And you are so passionate and so worried, so scared, so lonely, Mm -hmm. so just so everything over the top, you know? Um, and some, some of us, you know, we're not blessed with good partners. I did not have a good partner in my husband at that time. Mm. And so I was really in it alone. Thank God I had a good mom, good sister, you know, good family base. And we, I did end up moving back to my hometown in Massachusetts, 
where um, I was from so that I could get good support because without them, I was going crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think and, that's a totally uh, acceptable you know, way to be, you know, of course you're going to lose your mind a little bit. Right. And, uh, and you and I, when we were, when we were talking, we were just before this, we were, we were talking about how there's kind of three areas. And now actually I think there's four (laughs) when you just mentioned your marriage, your marriage as well, because you have, when this happens to you, right? When, when you are faced with a child that has some special needs, whether it's mental illness, um, disability, uh, physical disability, life-threatening illness, you you know, there, I think there's a wide range and I think we need to talk about what that means too, but you have your reaction to it. You have your feelings about it, right? Just me as a mom, I have my feelings about it that I need to process. But then there's also another part of you, which is your child and the doctors and the medical care that your child needs. Right. And then there is, um, you being an advocate, right? So there's, there's sort of like pillars, right? There's you, there's your child, there's, uh, the advocacy now that you need to almost be a subject matter expert in your child's, uh, in your child's disability, your child's special need. Um, and that I think is overwhelming too. And then, then what about the rest of your family, right? Then there is your, the siblings, which we're going to talk about and also your partnership with your, with your spouse. Huge. I mean, those are so many hats. It's so, so many, many hats. hats and there's probably more than just those four, but those are the four that just from us talking that I can identify, which one is enough, you know, one is hard yeah. enough. Right. Oh, and then we, we haven't even talked to, about trying to work. You know? I was just going to say back to work too. Yeah. If you want to add that to the, Oh my goodness. No wonder you go crazy for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that is a tremendous amount of stress. Right. Because Robin, there's no childcare for kids like my daughter, Elizabeth, you know, there's no after school programs. <laughs> Where do you go for kids who have G tubes and, you know, central line feedings and seizures? I mean, there's no place and there's not even isn't. now, not even now it's a little bit better, but it's back then. No, I mean, there's no place. So, you know, what do you do? What do you do? You what need did a nurse. You do? What did oh, you do? Oh gosh. Well, so what did I do? I created my own business. So many smart women have done that. And it's, oh man, I am so inspired by the women in the last 20 years that I have met, 20, 25 years. Yes, I'm dating myself. I know I'm old, but um, (laughs) they they have done so many amazing things. There's a chapter in my book, all about work. And, um, I'm, I want to do more about that. I, I talk about that in my podcast too, but women are just so creative when it comes to finding their own way, you know, and if people are not going to appreciate what we have to give in the path that we can give it, then we're going to forge our own path. And that's what I did. So I tried working in sort of the establishment law firms that are out there. No, it was a no-go for me. I can imagine. I I can only imagine. 
<laughs> such oh man i was crash and burn crash and burn crash and burn i was a huge failure with a big f nobody can see it but the big l for loser on my on my forehead um you know i had some big failures epic failures i just did not do well but that um, is not a measure of your worth that is just um <laughs> feedback on all the other things going on in your life right that is certainly not yeah about that yes it's and and the funny thing is kind of hard to be the poster child for the special needs mom and the special needs attorney on the one hand they want to market you as that but on the other hand there wasn't a lot of compassion for what you were trying to do but special needs parents who were my clients they were fine oh you want to meet at six o'clock at my house or your house no problem i get it we're a special needs family we we know we get it so my clients were awesome they but the were bosses. Totally awesome. but the bosses not so much so so yeah i started my own thing and it's been amazing and it has been a blast it still is i love it and it's lucrative it you know hey i get to make a living on top of all of Absolutely. the fun i'm having yeah and, so and how cool is that and that's that's absolutely the way it should be right that is yeah. uh, that's great but but i i love i mean i'm all about mamas right i love dads too don't get me wrong oh, yeah. i have a beautiful husband i have i have you know there's so many dads that i work with there is something about us mamas though when we become mothers it's like nothing can stop us. You know, we go to our, to the darkness. Sometimes we have those low lows. I've oh, yes. been there yes. and I've struggled and, and I know many moms do, but there is nothing, almost nothing we won't do. And I think these beautiful babies that are born to us, typical or special needs are so here to teach us you know, and, uh, and I do talk about the fact that I have a son that has some special needs as well and not in the same way your daughter did, but, um, you do feel really lost. You feel really lonely. Um, I think that you can feel ashamed. I know for me, I thought he was the way he was because it was my fault and that was really hard for me. And I hid myself away because I was convinced it was my fault from birth to, um, you know, not knowing how to calm him down. I mean, I had my own set of traumas that really set me on a path um, through depression and darkness and, uh, mm -hmm. and all of this, but I wasn't willing to give up until, for me, it was until I found the world of peaceful parenting and it was parenting in a way that I had never, I had never experienced before. So um, anyway, my point is just that they really are a gift to us Yes, to make us like, my life had no meaning before, you know, I mean, it did, but it didn't really until I had my, my children. But the point you're making is so important because the connection, the podcast, the book, the blog posts, these all were not really available to us as much 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And yeah. these medium are so important now because they're alleviating the stress and the loneliness and the information is getting out there. And that is helping us become the advocates that we need to be. So I know that you feel the same, but I'm on a mission 
to get the word out, to get technical information out, but also to get people connected. Yeah. Because not everybody can afford an attorney. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is in Massachusetts where I am. I mean, in fact, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have listeners all over the world. I have listeners all over the world too. I have people all over the world reading my book. I've got a second book coming out too. You know, we just need to make sure that people are getting connected and staying connected and people are different. So some people listen, some people are visual, some people read, some people want pictures, like whatever, however we can reach everybody. We need to keep talking about these important issues of parenting. And it's some of it's you know very emotional content and some of it's very technical content, but it's so important to keep talking about the content. We've gotta keep connecting people. Right? A hundred percent. And I think when we talk about how strong we are as women, um, how amazing we are as moms and mama bears, and you know, we want to fight for our children, we also need to support each other. And that is the biggest thing for me. That is my mission is as moms, we need to celebrate each other. We need to support each other, no matter where you are in your journey of parenting, whether you're in the darkness or you you're struggling to, to, to get out of the house or you're thriving and you're enjoying it. Well, then that's when you lend a hand to somebody who isn't, we need to drop the, the judgments and the criticisms and just really love each other and support each other because we're all going through something. And if you aren't, then that's when you help, you know, and I think that is what is huge, right? That's what we need to do. No more judgment. Let's love each other. Let's love each other. And if you don't understand someone, we can ask without judgment, without that being a statement in disguise, we can say, okay, well, tell me about that. Right. Absolutely. Just like the conversation we had before we started our podcast today. Yes, it's true. It's so true. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this. Please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you're a parent who's struggling and you feel like you might need some support to be the confident leader of your family where you can calmly respond to any kind of behavior, disrespect, or your kids not listening to you, well, I have a membership group that you might be interested in. All you have to do is go to kamomsclub.com for more information. That's kamomsclub.com for more information. Now, back to the show. Well, one of the things that I know you're really passionate about is siblings and siblings not getting lost in the mix, right? Yes. What, tell me about that. So one of the smartest lessons I learned was from my second daughter. When she was six, um, she shocked me by saying something very profound to me. Yes, that's six years old. I know. Um, so, you know, being a special needs parent, especially of a very ill child can really get you into a funk where you're just trying to get through your day every day. It's so hard and you get kind of numb, you know? And so Elizabeth's care, she was 10 at the time was so involved and we did have some nursing help. But on the weekends, we would, it would often be just me. And I mean, it would be a two-hour ordeal. And I do say ordeal to just 
do G-tube feeding medications, get her dressed and washed up for the day before we could even think about like getting out to the grocery store or, or something. And my little Caroline, you know, she would be hanging out with me because she was six and she wasn't really off playing by herself at that point. So she'd be hanging out in Elizabeth's room with me and just kind of observing all of this, watching a video or listening to some music or something. And, you know, we'd be talking or whatever. And so, but I wouldn't really be paying attention to her. Mm. You know what I mean? I'd mm -hmm. be numb and engrossed in what I was doing and just trying to get through the steps. Yeah. First you do A, then you do B. So at one point she looked up at me and she said to me, mom, when am I going to have to start changing Elizabeth's diaper? Huh. Right? Hmm. I see on your face. So the audience can't see this, but Robin, <laughs> like wide eyes, exactly what I did, shocked the crap out of me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, she's six. And she's already thinking about when is this going to be my job? Hmm. How scary is that? She's already internalizing this. And I was so upset that she was she was clearly worrying about it, you know, but also that I need to start thinking about Caroline as an individual. I need to start thinking about Caroline's life. Mm -hmm. What can I be doing about Caroline? So from that point on, it wasn't perfect, but I tried to start thinking about every person in the family as an individual. And so it took a while and it, and it was hard. But we started, I started paying more attention to Caroline, Caroline's dance and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. like horseback riding. And so instead of sending Caroline with a babysitter to dance, I would leave Elizabeth home sometimes with a caregiver and I would be the one to take Caroline to dance so I could spend some alone time in the car with her and I would watch her recitals and um, I would plan little trips with Caroline so I could spend some time with her. And um, at that point, we, I would start going away, you know, with her for weekends. And we have some great mother-daughter memories because of that. You know, we planned this trip to Cape Cod at one point where we stayed in this really, really awful motel at the, in the princess suite, which, believe me, you did not <laughs> want to. It was not fit for princesses, let me put it that way. I love um, it. But it had princess suite on the name of the room. Um, and, you know, so we have these great memories. She's 19 now and in college, but we still laugh about that. And Elizabeth is gone, but we still laugh about that. And we have these great videos that she shot on my first smartphone that I had in the car. And she, you know, has videos of her and her sister, um, you know, in the car. And just, we would have like these, these great times together. And then what I came to really late in life was the self-care piece. But I really tried hard to have some individual time with each of my daughters and to try to have, to try to have Caroline develop some interests of her own. And at that time, I basically told Caroline, don't worry, because mommy's got a plan, and you just need to be Elizabeth's sister. You mm -hmm. don't need to worry about being Elizabeth's caregiver. Mm -hmm. I did not have a plan at that time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, good, <laughs> but good. I really good. worked on it. Yeah. <laughs> I was a really good liar. Let's put it that way. 
<laughs> oh, geez. But look, I, I, I think what you did was admirable versus saying, okay, yeah, let me show you how to do her diaper. Like, yeah, why don't you help me? Right? Because look, she has her own life, you know, her own life path and, and you honored that in her. Um, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's what's important is that you saw, you saw her, you saw her, right? And, and, and isn't that what we all want as humans is to be seen and to be yeah. recognized and to be heard? That's what we really want. And so instead of getting lost in the shuffle of just, I'm just Elizabeth's sister, no, actually I'm Caroline and I have all of these things. And how beautiful is that of you to notice through, through the, you know, throughout the struggle of what you were dealing with and say, okay, no, now I really need to focus on her too, because I know they will fall through the cracks if we don't. Right. And then what happens is that it isn't until they're in their teen years, usually that we go, oh shoot, you know, this is when behavior changes. And yeah. usually the teen years that we see the results of their younger years playing out as a teen. And then we think, uh Oh, now I got to go backwards. And it's all this extra work now that I have to do to get my child back on track to get our relationship back on track. But to nurture it all the way through is really the way to go. You know, well, it wasn't perfect. And there was no. still a lot of trauma. And we still have a lot of difficulty. And I think, you know, she still feels like it was never enough. Mm. I don't know that it ever could have been enough, because I was a single parent by then. And Elizabeth needed a lot. And there were times that Caroline needed to go with somebody else yeah. because I couldn't leave Elizabeth. And there were times when Caroline got dragged to the hospital with me because I didn't have anybody to leave her with. And she had to stay overnight with me at the hospital and it was awful. And yeah, I think that's also part of her story too, but like, what can you do? Right. This is, this is part of her story. Right. Yeah. And so she does have to do some of that stuff. She does have to come along. Um, and I think, you know, when you have another child, the best you can do is just say, look, you know, I know it's really hard for you too. I know it's yeah. hard, you know, and acknowledge that this is hard. Acknowledge that they are feeling feelings too. And that's where empathy comes in for your other child, you know? And also what I hear you saying over and over again is it didn't look perfect. No. I, God, no. I was a mess at first. I went a little crazy. I had the L on my forehead, you know, <laughs> but I think, I think what I'm hearing you say is yes, there's all those things, but also like, come on, you've got to go easy on yourself too. How yes. could it possibly look perfect? There's no such thing as perfection, you know, in this situation, in any situation and gross, if you are perfect, <laughs> you know, like how could you possibly be, I would have nothing to relate to you if you were yeah. like, who, who could handle this perfectly? There's just no such thing. And to think that, you know, that that exists, I think is a huge myth and a disservice to all of those of us who struggle. Right. Right. Yeah. And the hardest thing is you just have to learn to love yourself through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how would you do that? You know, I think I'm going to ask my own question, but I, 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 this is a question for you too, but how do you love yourself through that? I think you do it by just acknowledging what you can do right yeah. now. Like I can change this tube. I can do this, right? You, it looks different for everybody, but I think, you know, you do the little things that you can. And so for me, like I said, I came to it late, but for me, it looked like taking a few extra minutes to pray. And again, that's not for everybody, but that was helpful to me. Um, 
taking a few minutes to walk with the dog. Mm -hmm. And that helped me clear my head. And I loved my dog. You know, my dog helped me raise my kids. (laughs) And so, you know, um, just taking those few minutes to walk the dog was really helpful. Um, Just, you know, just those few peaceful moments were so good. Um, Just a couple of things, little things in life, Mm. being able to cook, spending a few minutes at the stove to make a special meal. Just a few little things like that were really, really good for me. And I think you take those in fully. You fully immerse yourselves in those moments, right? Right. And and, uh, there is joy in those small moments. And self-care is so important. But, and I say this a lot, it doesn't mean a spa day. It doesn't mean that. It means 10 minutes to enjoy this cup of coffee or tea fully and completely without letting anything else enter my mind, but how warm and soothing and delicious it is. You know, that's 10 minutes of your day, five minutes of your day even, right? Uh, I I, I talk about micro goals too. Like let's say it's it's 10 seconds because that's easily attainable. We'll say 10 seconds because that I can do for sure. And so then I'm winning already because I can do 10 seconds every day, no problem. Then I can do 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Then soon it's 10 minutes, right? But start with something that you could, definitely do. So you can congratulate yourself, recognize yourself. Let's acknowledge that that looks different for everybody. I agree. So what's, what's good and working for me is not going to work for you. Like for me, I was so happy to just let the laundry build up and let, you know, take out, come into the house for somebody else that would be stressful and that they, they would not feel good about that. And folding the laundry might be very peaceful for them. So, you know, what works for you is not going to work for somebody else. Absolutely. And that's the part of letting go of the judging that we have to, we have to bring back into our relationships with our girlfriends Absolutely. and our sisters. Yes, everybody. Yes, we, um, I, I, so whatever works for you. Yes, absolutely. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's a boxed dinner or it's takeout, or if that's what you need to survive, to make it to the next day, you are the leader of your family. You have to be okay. However that looks, whoever else's judgment is not invited into this conversation and, and is not, uh, is, it does not, does not influence what I do because I'm just trying to survive here. So that's why we don't, we don't need to judge. We're all doing our best, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I want to transition into talking about the advocacy piece because I think that there are a lot of parents that have um, stuff going on with their kids. I talk to a lot of parents that do, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times what we're talking about is ADHD, depression. I hear that quite a bit. Um, and that is not the same thing as, as, as you've dealt with and you're talking about. But regardless of what's going on with your child, where do you start advocating for your child? So first and foremost, please recognize that you are the expert, okay? A lot of parents feel a little bit inadequate and they feel that the expert is always somebody else. Mm -hmm. And once you acknowledge that you have the most information about your child, you're the one who's taking this little piece and that little piece and this little piece from all of these different experts 
they only have one bit, one piece of the puzzle, but you're the one who puts it all together, then you're sitting in a position of authority. And that really makes people feel a lot more in control. So that's number one. Okay. You're the expert, okay? And come to the table with that position of strength as the advocate. Number so one. So like with some swagger, with some like, look, I know my kid the best. So yeah. you can say what you want, but I'm still the one who has the final say here, right? Yes. Yeah. The second most important thing, really important, is that you have to be a really good communicator. Hmm. And that takes practice. And people really have a hard time with this because you can't communicate from emotion. Mm. You do have to, you can be very emotional and advocating, whether it's through for school or for with that insurance person who wants to deny you something or with medical community or whatever thing you need for your kid <laughs> that you're trying to get, um, you know, or advocating within a team. You know, that piece um, relies on you to be able to communicate the goal and to communicate it effectively. Sometimes you're communicating orally, sometimes in writing, and you just need to be able to be clear and concise and to be able to advocate your end position well and to also be able to kind of map your way to how we're going to get there. Don't expect everybody to come up with the solution. Mm. Come to the table with some ideas. Okay. And so when you say be a good communicator, um, yeah, you said orally and in writing. I think being a good communicator also includes listening too, right? And making sure. Yes. Um, but also what I, what, I, what I really heard you say more than anything is you may be emotional, but the whole point is you need to get the facts yeah. across. Yes, you're emotional, but the emotion, you can't do anything with the emotion. Look, I just need to know, you know, the facts because that's what I can help you with, or that's what the insurance company needs or whatever. Right. Right. Okay. Right. And then, you know, there, there are um, a number of other things, but I think, um, and you can, get these advocacy tips on my website. Yes, but, we're going to share that. Yeah. But the third most important thing is know when kind of when you're in danger. So know when it's time to call in an expert to help you. So the signs of that are when people are starting to be a little bit threatening. So when you're about to lose something, when you know, so in the US for example, if you have concerns that people are going to, um, you know, change your school IEP, or if people are going to take away a service that you have, or if you are going to lose um, some kind of paid insurance program, something that insurance is paying for, they're not going to pay for anymore, and you're getting denied something, you may want to think about, you know, filing a, a legal appeal for something, it may be time to bring in a legal expert. Okay. So recognize when it's time to get some legal support or at least get a legal opinion. Okay. So 
I have all of the, I know we're kind of running short on time, so I, I have all of these things written out very clearly, the steps, um, and you're welcome to get them off of my website. They're all there, five key, st key steps to advocacy. And you've got tons of stuff on your website that, that yes. people can download, and they are not country specific. They are really just great tools to just help you navigate your way through this. Uh, you've really, you've really blazed the path um, and people can just have the benefit of your wisdom and your experience. Thank you. I love that term. I consider myself a navigator much more than I consider myself an attorney. So I love that you use that term. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Trailblazer, <laughs> awesome mama, lawyer, all that stuff. Um, one of the things though before before we wrap up here is you talk about well there's two uh, we're not done just yet um there's a couple <laughs> things that I, I just want to talk about one is putting a team together and how you do that who is your team who should be on your team and then and then i just want to talk about what happens when your child gets older so if we can cover those two things before we yeah. go that'd be great so putting your team together, so important. I talk about this a lot. I talk about it with all my clients and I try to talk about it when I do my lectures around the country. Your team is gonna evolve and look different over time, but you're always gonna need one from the get-go. And your team are your trusted people, your team to you know kind of bring you forward. Um, they are gonna consist of family members, friends, experts, all of the people that you rely on. And it's gonna be potentially your doctors, your therapists, your, you know, even that insurance person who helps you get the stuff that you need, you know, that person that you talk to, the advocate on the other end of the phone, your teacher maybe, um, maybe not your teacher if they're not an advocate for you. Um, the next door neighbor who brings in the mail when you when you're at the hospital for three weeks at a time hmm. the pet sitter you know who are the people that you really count on and rely on your team and you know you know who those people are but you've probably never stopped for a second to think about it and then think about it from the perspective of your kid who would your kid if your kid could tell you, who would they include on the team? Oh, I love that. You yeah, know? that's important. The coach, maybe, right? And, um, you know, maybe the person at the grocery store who knows everything that you like. Who knows? Who knows who's on your team? Maybe it's a pharmacist, right? Who is helping with medication and that sort of thing, yeah. right? So yeah. funny, a, a, you know, funny about the pharmacist, I just recently presented at a rare disease um, conference and ran into the pharmacist who did not know that my daughter had passed away five years ago. And um, I got to see him and, and told him that Elizabeth had passed away. And he, he kind of suspected because it had been a while since he had heard from us and um, just thought maybe we had gone to another pharmacy or something. And, uh, you know, so I told him that Elizabeth had passed away and oh my God, we sat and talked for like a half an hour at this conference and just tears were flowing. It was, I mean, it was like he knew her. He had been her pharmacist for so many years, compounding her medicine. And he had a daughter with a rare disease as well. And it was, you know, the people in your life, it's amazing. You think that they're anonymously doing these services for you, but they're not. Yeah. They're on your team and yeah. they know so much about you and your family. So yeah, 
your team is very important. And again, they're going to evolve over time. There are people who are going to go off your team. More people are going to come on your team. And those are the important people who are going to be able to have those key pieces to the puzzle if you were not going to be there anymore. Right. And they're going to be able to carry on for you when you can't, if you can't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think it's also about recognizing where you need help and support and, and being willing to ask for it. That goes for anybody, right? We've got to ask for help and support. And it's crucial to, to us and our self-care too, really, is, is asking yeah. for help and support. But the, the, the great thing about it is that when you ask for help, it makes the other person happy. Yes. He asked. Yes. <laughs> you know, it it's yeah. so you're actually you're doing yourself a favor, but you're doing somebody else a favor too. Like it feels good to know that you think of me that way and you want my help. Right. Uh, so one of, one of the challenges of being a special needs family and having a lot of friends who don't have special needs kids is that people are afraid to ask us to be friends in a in a typical way. They don't ever want to ask us to help them you know, oh, can you help me move? Oh, can you watch my dog? Oh, you know, X, Y, Z, because they feel like we have a burden that they don't have and they don't want us to be, you know, they don't want to ask us to be friends in that typical way. You know, it's actually pretty hurtful to us not to include us in that way. So just being a typical friend with us can be so special, you know? So just consider that if you will. Um, you know, we want to include you, include you in our circle. We want to be included in your circle as well. Right. So, and not like, Oh, let's not bother Annette because she's got her hands full. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like just treat me like, uh, uh, like I'm normal, right? Exactly. You've got to have that typical reciprocal, meaningful relationship or it's not Mm -hmm. meaningful at all. Because right. then it's just one way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very, I, I can see that being very true. And I'm sure there are some times where you're just so up to your eyeballs in stuff that it's like, no, I can't help you. But like, it's kind of nice to be asked, right? It's kind of nice exactly. to be included. So, okay. So on that note, then how would I uh, approach somebody who has a special needs child? Let's say I, I or, or anybody who's listening sees a, a mom who has a, a child who's in a wheelchair or has special needs or whatever. And, you know, what would you do? How, how would I go up to you and say, hey, you know, want to be friends? What do I say? Like, how is, what's it like being a mom of a special needs child? Like, I would be so afraid that I'd offend you in some way that I would stay away. Well, would, would you normally do that with somebody who was just hanging out with their typical kid? Uh, yeah, I just start talking and just, yeah, yeah. just start talking. You don't, you wouldn't necessarily just start talking about the kid, right? Wouldn't you go up and say, oh my God, I love your scarf. Right. Or your lipstick color is amazing. Or I love those earrings. So don't talk about the kid because that's not something you would normally do. Right. 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 And eventually if you want to talk about the kid, you do, but normally you wouldn't talk about the kid. You would just be talking about stuff that you would normally talk to another woman about. 
And do you think, you know, as a mom of a, with a special needs child, would you would you be okay with questions about it? Like, you know, what what does she have, or what's wrong with her? And and I, I I'm sorry when I say this, I'm cringing as I say it because I don't know the right thing to say. Like, I I am I'm a case study in this too. Yeah. Robin never ask what's wrong with her. Yeah, right. I know. I know. I know. Terrible things. I know. know. Like what? Like, but but people say things that are offensive, right? So what do you what do you do? And so most people are not going to be offended because that's not an offensive thing in the in and of itself, right? But like sometimes you can kind of be funny and just be like, oh, hey, what's up with her? You know, not like what's wrong, but like what's up with her or, (laughs) or, you know, just say something nice. Like, oh, your daughter's beautiful. Or I love her shirt or her wheelchair is really cool or something like that. You know? So that, oh, how old is your daughter? Oh, how old? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes it's better to actually, so most people actually really ignore the person in the wheelchair and it's kind of rude to do that it's really better to talk to the person in the wheelchair directly mm-hmm. because you're assuming that they can't talk to you. Mm-hmm. And even if they have an impairment that doesn't allow them to understand you in the same way, it's better to talk directly to them and then talk to the mom too. Mm. You know, those are great. That's, that's really good lessons. I mean, that's really good. So don't say what's wrong with the child. Yeah. And don't, uh, and, and, and also talk to them. Yeah. They, right. Like they exist here too. They're not. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. If it were me, yes, I would always, I go up to the kid first because I love kids like that. They're my people. Mm-hmm. And I would always go, Oh my God, I love your wheelchair. It's so sparkly and cool. So I would just talk directly to the person. And then usually I can gauge whether by their responsiveness, whether they understand me or not. And then I talk to the mom, you know, and say, your kid's wheelchair is so cool. What, you know, and I will usually ask the kid, like, what's your name or something like that. Um, You know, and some people are kind of standoffish and they're not in a mood to talk. And I get it because like I said, I spent a lot of time being angry. Um, and sometimes people are just not into it and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but But what a great way to endear yourself to the mom or the parent is to talk to the child, right? Yeah. Cause most people do ignore them. Mm. Okay. Well, that's a good lesson. Thank you for that. That's great. Okay. Just one last question. Now, these, when your kids get older, Yes. What do you do then? Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they age out of the system, right? The yes. system, uh, when they're about what, 18, and then you have to consider, do they stay at home with you? Do they go to an adult living situation? Yeah. How do you know that I would worry about abuses? I would worry about a lot of things. What You're do you so do? right. There's a lot to worry about. And, d- and d- it does depend on what system you're in, what country you're in, what state you're in. Um, what age they are, what their disability is. So there's so many factors um, and the type of living situation and the type of safety issues that you have and the funding source. And there's just a lot to consider. Um, And it's way too much to get into in this, you know, two minutes that we have left in the podcast. Um, I do have a really universal transition checklist on my website. So please go there and check it out. It's really for everybody. to look at and think through 
But some of the things that you have to think about are whether your person has the ability to make legal decisions on their own and whether you need to have some kind of continuing legal authority once they become an adult. So whether you're in a common law system or not is going to determine, you know, what kind of legal authority you need to, um, to, you need to get. So you'll need to involve the courts on some level in order to get legal authority to assist. Um, and the second thing is, do you need to do some planning to assist with either a special needs trust of some sort? Not every country is going to acknowledge special needs trusts or special needs planning, but here in the U S we use special needs trusts a lot. And then what kind of programs, public benefits, either income streams or other kinds of public benefits are available for the disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of housing supports or adult services are available in your community? And then what, how, how do you avail yourself of those programs and services? Mm-hmm. And so all three of those pieces kind of come together in a long-term plan and you need to implement that plan over the long haul. And most people are going to be staying home with their family for a very long time because resources are far and few. And what you need to be looking at is you need to be looking at your circle or your team mm-hmm. in order to figure out over the long haul, you know, as you age as parents, who's going to be taking over for you. And, you know, how are you going to provide resources for that to happen? Mm. So the team and the transition plan go hand in hand. Right. And, you know, as much as I could talk about this for days, (laughs) I know we don't have the time for that, but um, I do appreciate so much the time that you've taken to get this information out to our families because it's so critical Mm. that we keep letting people know that we get this information out to everybody so that they know that um, they can start now and it's little steps. Every little, every little bit, every little step that you take is going to help you feel not so anxious and not so overwhelmed. Oh, that's, that's so true. And you take it moment by moment, step by step, right? Yeah. In the face of overwhelming information and news and all that, you still have to put one foot in front of the other, even when that feels impossible. And have a joyous day to boot. Well, there you go. (laughs) Well, thank you for all of this, Annette. Thank you very, very much. And the book that you have, which is available everywhere, but on Amazon is Butterflies and Second Chances. And your podcast is Parenting Impossible, which is so cool. I love that you have a podcast too. And that is uh, available on all podcast platforms. Yes, absolutely everywhere. Okay. And and I'm going to put your website in the show notes. It's specialneedscompanies.com. And it is very important if you have a special needs child to go there because she, Annette has so many resources for you. And if, even if you know someone, please share this information so that you don't have to start from scratch, right? Annette has done this for you. She's done the work for you in a lot of this. And, uh, and it isn't just, uh, for people who are in the States. It's a lot of this, like you said, is, is pretty adaptable wherever you are. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Robin. It's been such a pleasure.
Oh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you too. Thank you so much again. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.